Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week I sit down with Megan Newkirk. We discuss living with and learning to manage obsessive compulsive disorder as a real diagnosis and not just socially acceptable quirks we often label as OCD. We also discuss specific challenges she has faced ways Christians can support people living with OCD, and why she wrote Loving Naomi, a Christian fiction book where the main character has OCD. Megan gives us a precious gift today, a glimpse into her as both a follower of Jesus and a woman living with obsessive compulsive disorder. I know you will walk away with a deeper, maybe a new understanding of this mental health diagnosis. Good morning, Megan. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. We've had a few little technical issues, but here we are ready to go. We're ready. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, welcome and tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis. All right. So I am uh, Megan Newkirk and I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I've grown up here. Um, I'm the mother of three wonderful children. I am a Wolfpack NC State grad and um, have been living here and um, love in Raleigh. I've got all kinds of family here. I'm a currently a stay at home mom, um, and aspiring author. So, um, these days with COVID I've been home with virtual kids for the last year. So it's been a little bit different, um, learning how to juggle the, the desire to write, publish a book and have kids home from school. But, um, I've been very blessed to have family close for, you know, help and, uh, just doing my writing thing. So Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about the book that you have recently published and your journey with OCD. And so OCD is, you know, often thought of culturally as just this socially acceptable quirk. I know I'm guilty at times of saying, oh, that's my OCD quality, Um, you know, that we want things a certain way, but Mm -hmm. it is a real diagnosis that can have devastating consequences. And so as we begin to discuss obsessive compulsive disorder, will you share what it was like for you growing up and some of the symptoms that you experienced that led to a diagnosis of OCD in your life? So I was not actually clinically diagnosed until college. Um, but I had symptoms as early as eight years old. I, um, had my appendix out. Uh, I had had it rupture when I was eight and was in the hospital due to some infection caused by that. And my parents have said that that was sort of the turning point for me where I crossed over from being a more cautious child to, Mm. um, to something a little bit different. Um, and so the symptoms kind of grew slowly. It started as a a big need for reassurance from my mom about kind of some outlandish fears. Um, and then as puberty hit, it began to have more narrow focuses. So very Mm. specific themes that were repeating themselves in my fears. That's uh, very common with OCD. And then I remarkably, and by God's grace made it, you know, through high school successfully and, Um, and then it wasn't really until college that I realized that these patterns of behavior were unhealthy. I had met at that time who became my future husband. And I realized that couldn't continue with those types of compulsions and still maintain my relationship with him in a healthy way. So that's what ultimately led me to counseling. And at the time counseling was not as common as it is now, right? It was viewed in my eyes as more of a punishment than an actual aid. And so that's what kind of took me so long to, to finally get help, but some of the symptoms, so they kind of grew gradually. So as a child, I would worry about things. I think that typical kids worry about, but as it moved into middle school, I started becoming very fearful of germs, uh, very fearful of certain intrusive thoughts as they're called, where you might think about something, uh, in a way that's disruptive, very extreme. Sometimes they have to do with 
um, whether you would hurt someone or, Mm. um, you know, feelings you might have that feel very abnormal. And, you know, during uh, puberty, you're feeling and experiencing all kinds of things. So the wires get crossed and, and thoughts that normally would just pass through get stuck. And so with OCD, it, it can be very um, challenging to be able to figure out what's normal, what's not. So you get stuck and you get on that hamster wheel. And for me, like, you know, in middle school, for instance, I would walk through the halls and I would feel myself becoming quote unquote contaminated by the dirtiness and the messiness and the filth of the school um, and would become very obsessed with that feeling of wanting to feel clean. So the hand washing for me was a problem at that point. That's a very stereotypical fear of OCD, but not everybody has that. I want to be clear about that because I think a lot of people just assume, well, I don't have OCD because I don't obsess about washing my hands or about cleanliness, but that's not actually a requirement for, right. you know, having OCD. Um, for me, that happened to be the case. And so as I, as I got older, uh, it became clear that I was also obsessing about harming others, fearful of what I could potentially do to someone else thoughts mm-hmm. about that. This idea that your thoughts have power, that you know, if you think something, it can affect a circumstance or, um, you know, that, that if I think that my dad was going to get in a car accident and I all of a sudden would get this intrusive thought of my dad getting into a car accident, that somehow that was going to then cause a car accident. And I would obsess about it until my father would actually pull in the driveway. So that was another aspect. And then there's very commonly the religious, um, subtype, uh, scrupulosity, moral OCD is what it's called, uh, where you just kind of obsess about being a good person. What does it look like to do the right thing? Uh, will God cast me to hell if I mm. think about something, if I get angry at him or um, if I say something in a certain way or don't do something in a certain way? And it's very individual and specific for each person. There are a lot of what they call sub themes to OCD. So they're all in the same kind of vein in that it attacks what you value the most. So, um, okay. Oftentimes it will attack, you know, if someone loves children, oftentimes they will have POCD, which is one of the more difficult ones to deal with. What does so, the P stand for? For ped- pedophile, actually OCD. Okay. And it's, it's a very, very specific one that it can be very, very paralyzing for people because OCD attacks what you love. So, you know, for me, the idea of being sick. I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Yeah. Um, so I care. You want to have all the fun. I want to have all the fun and I don't want to have any suffering. So for me, the fear of suffering is what, why my OCD, you know, kind of hooked into that. Um, and so, you know, then you've got the scrupulosity, the moral OCD. So being a good person, people who tend to be very conscientious people, that's something that can kind of happen for them, but it, it can tap into any uh, aspect of your life. So order, that's why I think a lot of times stereotypically people think about it in that way, because it's good to be orderly. It's that's good to right. want things. Uh, but if you feel like if you don't have it in a certain way that something's going to happen, then it can become paralyzing. Well, and that's something I was going to ask, like, what is the difference between just having that tendency of, I like things orderly, and then what's the next step? So it sounds like what you're saying is the next step is, even though I want things orderly and it drives me crazy when they're not, I don't like, it doesn't have to happen. And I'm not afraid that there's going to be this horrible outcome if it's not orderly. Is that the difference? Yes, very much so. And it also, I think there's also kind of a, Uh, a vein of like OCD, as far as a personality, like someone who just happens to like things to be orderly and in control versus Mm -hmm. someone who has a diagnosis. Now, I don't know that that's an actual like thing, but I know that, um, you know, you can meet a lot of people with OCD, the diagnosis who are extremely messy because when things become quote unquote contaminated, they just push them to the side and say, well, I'm just going to put this over here because, you know, if something from the outside world is a contaminant and it contaminates something that then comes into your home, you're not going to want to deal with that thing. So it becomes a, can very easily become a hoarding situation. So, you know, when people say, oh, I'm so OCD, I, you know, I like my, I've had more people tell me 
when I tell them I wrote a book about OCD that, oh, I have OCD. that. And I'm like, well, are you tortured by your thoughts? You know, that's yeah. my first question. Like, because it, there's a big difference between, oh, I feel so good when this is ordered mm-hmm. versus I am tortured by my own brain and my brain doesn't ever shut off. Mm. And I think given those other specific categories, um, and there's another one I forgot about too, which is relational OCD and relational OCD is one that I actually did suffer from, which is in the book quite a lot. And that is very concerned with how you make others feel, what you say to them, how your relationship plays out with them. So you obsess a lot about what you've said, what you've done, how it's affected that person and becomes paralyzing because, you know, I'm an extrovert. I love to be with people, but I would go out with my friends and I'd come home and just obsess about what did I say? How did I say it? Let me follow up with them and ask for reassurance. And, you know, let me make sure that they, I didn't hurt their feelings. Um, And so that's another way that, you know, I think people might say, well, oh, I will, I think about, I care about what people think too. Sure. But it's when it crosses over into that obsessive, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the compulsion is then asking for Well, and so when you were in middle school and high school, do you remember, did you think, well, everybody goes through this? I honestly, I think I didn't really know. I, I felt very abnormal. I did not feel like, oh, I'm just like everybody else. Because I mean, in middle school, I had on the, on the backs of my hands, you know, a lot of times people with OCD will try to ground themselves in an unhealthy way to stop the intrusion of the thoughts. So for me, and this is also mentioned in the book, I would, I would take my fingernails and kind of dig them into the back of my hand as a way to like ground myself. Okay. I don't want to think sensory input. Yes. So it's like, I don't want to think these things. And so since I wasn't in counseling, I didn't know how to ground myself in a healthy way. So I was, you know, trying to do that. And so I think for me, I walked around with my sleeves pulled down uh, you know, what, what's on your hands? Why, you know, I also would do a little bit of talking to myself to try to stop the thoughts. Yeah. Um, asking God to please know, like, please. Stop. So a lot of times people would go, who are you talking to? You know? So I didn't you do a very good job. Aware. Yeah. Of hiding my, my struggle. And so as a result of that, I felt very much like I was set apart from, from other okay. people. Now, my parents did a fantastic job of of using my struggle to point me to Christ. And so in Mm. that they, they never made me feel like I was somehow different. So they, they were a counterbalance to that, which was wonderful and a huge blessing. Well, and Um, I could see how at that age, it could get crossed a little bit because there are so many things already going on in your mind and in your life that are just normal parts of being a teenager that it's hard to like, learn at that time. And I'm sure for parents as well, right. Even get to the point where, you know, is this something that's like seriously wrong or is this just the way that she is going through puberty? Exactly. And I mean, kids in middle school and high school, they go through stuff and I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, you don't know what you're going to get all the time. And so I think my mom just felt like, well, you know, she'll, this is a phase and it'll pass. And there were seasons, I think with OCD, there are seasons of of quiet. And so we'd go through a season of quiet and then it would ramp up again. And of course we didn't have a name for it. So right, um, she just thought my, I had a busy brain and you know, I had, I had anxiety, but, um, it's a fine line with OCD. It's a very specific type of fear yeah. and, and worry. I want to take a moment to tell you about one of my new favorite small businesses, Green Roof Gallery. I came across Bethany and her unique handcrafted leather earrings when a friend shared Green Roof Gallery on Instagram. Green Roof Gallery creates leather accessories for the grown-up girl who loves simplicity and a natural style. Handcrafted, small batched, unique, and personal. Bethany parallels the process of leather work with the new creation theme found throughout the Bible. God takes our seemingly unusable mess-ups and makes them new and unexpectedly beautiful. When you wear jewelry or use a journal from Green Roof Gallery, you will be gently reminded 
that God takes the hard and ugly times and uses them for our good and His glory. You will know every product went through some not-so-pretty times to get to the beautiful finished piece that now belongs to you or the person you might gift it to. And let me say, I own two pairs of the teardrop leather earrings. And when they arrived, I was beyond impressed by the detail of the design and the beauty of the color which Bethany hand paints. Plus, Bethany was quick to respond to my questions, and she cares deeply about helping women own their whole stories while seeking God throughout. As a Grace Enough podcast listener, you can take 15% off through July and August using the code GRACE15. Go to Etsy.com and search Green Roof Gallery. At checkout, use the code GRACE15 for 15% off your entire purchase. You can also learn more on Instagram and Facebook by searching Green Roof Gallery. Well, let's move into a little bit about the way Christian culture tends to deal with things like this. You know, we we can just get really, really uncomfortable. And, and praise the Lord, I, I do feel like that's typical in society as well. And so I do see that Christian communities and cultures are beginning to come along as well to pay attention to mental, you know, disorders, diagnoses, those types of things. Right. But at the same time, you know, it, I don't even know what all I want to say about that. And I need to be careful, but, um, (laughs) there is this idea in the Christian world sometimes where we want to slap band-aids on stuff and Mm. just say, Oh, pray more. Oh, um, you know, surrender to God more, um, and things will be okay. Right. And so what was that like for you growing up and kind of, how do you address that now when you maybe see that taking place, or you're just in a, in a position where you can educate the Christian uh, world, how to respond? I think a lot of times what happens with people like myself who have, um, this type of a diagnosis, I think it's easy to just kind of take scripture and misapply it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what often happens is not so much the fault of the church even, but just the actual like desire of the heart of the, of the sufferer. And so you read, you know, like be anxious for nothing or do not worry about tomorrow. And you think, okay, well, this is what I'm commanded to do. Why is it that I desire so much for God to meet me there? And I just keep doing these same patterns and these same rituals. And I, and I don't know how to not be fearful about it. And so I think, I think what can be hard in the church setting is that if you happen to have poor guidance of someone who just says, you know, because I think on, on average, you know, telling someone who doesn't suffer from these things to not worry about tomorrow and to to call on God and all of those things, that's good. That's good stuff. And oftentimes people with OCD, if you think about the categories of fears that I mentioned, you know, some of them I struggled with, some of them I didn't, some are way harder. I mean, given the idea of like POCD, I mean, that's not something you're going to go and want to talk about with your, uh, with your friends or your pastor. And so I think there's this idea that there's some shame behind it. And Mm -hmm. so they may go to their pastor and say, I'm really worrying. And they're not going into the nitty gritty of what that looks like. And so I think, you know, what would be helpful, I think is for the for people in the church to press into that and learn about what OCD looks like specifically so that they can ask the right questions to be able to say, okay, well, let's just, we rule this out so that, you know, you're not doing more harm than good by saying, Hey, I want you to go home and pray these verses. And then, because then what can happen is then that becomes the compulsion that becomes the thing that's supposed to fill it all in. And that's not what God intends with his scripture. And, you know, I've, I've joined quite a few OCD Christian support groups on Facebook and such. And what I see is this kind of, you know, pastors telling people, you know, Satan's attacking you and you, and I'm like, no, you need a therapist and you need medication. Like that. Amen, girl. Like, like this is Satan's attacking us all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, sure. Is he using, he's probably using this right. Absolutely. Just like he's you know, using all kinds of other things, but that's right. But it's a real diagnosis. 
Exactly. And so I think, I think that's where I get frustrated and I'm thankful that I can jump on there and say, Hey, you know, what you're dealing with is chemical. It's the way your brain was created, which is wonderful and different and Hmm. use this. I think that's where education comes in and just pastors being able to say, like, if someone comes into my office and talks about uses these certain types of words that can be red flags that, Hey, I need to point this person to a professional and not just any professional, but a professional who understands obsessive compulsive disorder, because it, it takes a specific type of treatment. So I think that's where, you know, I don't think anyone's doing anything intentionally, right? just a lack of understanding uh, of the differences that are between regular anxiety and OCD itself. Well, and I love that you said at the beginning of that, that it's not just on the church, that part of of a believer, um, a follower of Jesus is this own desire to, you know, read, like you said, and then be like, oh, but God, what I see here is this is a command. Like you tell us not to do these things. Right. And so then we get obsessed with, well, I'm trying not to do these things and I'm praying about these things, but they're not going away. Right. When that's where as Christians too, I think we have to be so careful to look at the whole canon of scripture and see that, yeah, we're commanded to do these certain things. But if you look at characters throughout God's word, they clearly struggled with those things. Like it wasn't like they didn't exist. It says, do not be anxious, but we see people be anxious all through scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's a continual type of surrender and paying attention to, um, just because you're commanded to do that doesn't mean that you're not, it's just, this may be the battle that you're facing right. for your life. Right. Exactly. Well, and not only that, but that God can use that's our right. shortcomings and our and, and there, and he does, he totally does all the time. And, you know, I, I think that, um, I think what's been the most amazing for me is to now be actually, I'm actually thankful for my OCD. Mm. And I think that that's not where everybody's going to be. It's a process. It doesn't always come overnight, but for me, it has kept me on my knees. And so I think reminding me that these struggles that we have, whether it be with anxiety or physical suffering or circumstantial or whatever that, you know, these are, these are God's, um, they're for our good and his glory and they don't feel good all the time. And I think just remembering that, but understand, and that's why it's so important to understand what the gospel is and to understand it correctly, because you don't, you can get lost in the, but I have to's and, but if I don't then, and, but what if, and I think with OCD, you can call it the, but what if disease diagnosis, you are, but what if thing, everything, I mean, it's like, but if I, this, or, but if I, that, and you can change and mold and, um, you, you know, our, our relationship with, with God is, is a, is a process. And so I think we so want that feeling with OCD, especially you want that feeling of something to be just right. And, you yeah. know, our, our relationship with, with Christ is only just right because he's just right. Not because of anything that we do or, you know, so I think that's where, um, I have to fall with my, with my faith. And actually one of my favorite verses is, um, second Corinthians 12, nine, um, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That has kind of been my theme because my mom used to tell me that. Cause I would just say like, well, my faith's not enough, or I'm not, you know, I'm still worried about this or whatever. And she'd say, look, God works through our weaknesses. He he's not working, um, only through the strong people he's working through our weaknesses. And so I think, uh, for me, that has been just a comfort for people who I've met who struggle with OCD or with even just extreme anxiety or panic or whatever, that has been my mantra because I think OCD really does attack your character. Like I said before, it attacks what you value most. And so you start to believe, am I these things? Am I a murderer? Am I a, uh, you know, am I going to do these things to someone else or am I really a blasphemous person who hates God, you know? Um, and so Mm. I think it's so important for us to remember that God is not a labeler. You know, we are, we are made in his image. Mm. And the only thing we need to labor, label ourselves with is that we are a child of him period. And that can be a really hard thing to settle on when you have OCD. So, um, that's why it's so important to get good counsel. 
Yeah. Well, and that's something that too, when we were talking a little bit, just back and forth via email about, um, God and really how he views our struggles, um, that I found just really interesting as I was thinking through, you were so gracious to send me some things that you feel like people need to know about OCD. And so as you started working through this in college, um, how, how did you kind of do that mindset shift of God views my struggle? Mm -hmm. You just said, you know, he views weakness as a way for us to show his sufficiency of grace Mm -hmm. in our lives. But even in how you view the word and the sufficiency of Christ for our struggles, is there anything else that you would share to that? I think the important thing is to use your, you know, kind of separate Uh, this is going to sound interesting, but kind of separate your faith from, from your treatment in a way. Um, I actually went to a counselor who was not a believer for a long, long time. She was an OCD expert, but she used my faith as a tool and yeah, she used it as a tool. She knew it was a part of who I was, but I think in, in kind of coming out because I was so obsessed with, you know, God casting me away when I was able to kind of separate him from that process of treatment. So I would just say that, you know, if, if you are obsessed with scripture in an unhealthy way, like say you have to read something a certain amount of times, I think it's just understanding that God understands the process of, of getting better from OCD. And sometimes that means you have to do something that feels like what your pastor would tell you not to do. And, you know, maybe he might say like, no, you only need to read your Bible once today. You don't need to read it 12 times that's going to feel very counter what, what the right thing to do is. So I think it's just important to trust, um, in what your therapist is saying about what's good for your treatment, even because Mm -hmm. it's going to feel unnatural. It's going to feel like the wrong thing to do. Um, and I think when it applies to our faith, which is what we're talking about right now, like if your worries involve your faith, I think just understanding that God has so much grace for this process of treatment and to just rest mm-hmm. in that he's going to use, he's going to use the difficulties of that. And eventually you will be able to go back to the word and not look at it compulsively. So I hope that speaks to the question that you were asking. Um, well, it's interesting because what I love about that is um, I have, I've told people time and time again to not get caught up in thinking that because someone is not a biblical counselor that there's nothing useful you can receive from them. And I say that because I have come to a place in faith of all people are created in the image of God. And it's something that um, Hillary Ferrer said to me, who she is the, one of the authors of mama bear apologetics. And I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. And what she said on the show was we have to remember that there's no Christian that is, so quote unquote saved and good that heresy cannot come out of their mouth. And there's no person who is so quote unquote lost that we can't receive something good from them. And that is all God in man. And so I think sometimes when we think about fallen nature, uh, we've taken it to this extreme where we think, oh, we, there, there must be nothing good, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, right. noble in somebody that's not a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what that scripture right. says. Like we need to learn to identify those things in all people and still realize they need Jesus. And yeah. so, um, I appreciate that about counseling because going to somebody who specializes in exactly what your diagnosis is mm-hmm. matters. Yes, it does. It really does, especially with OCD, because really for OCD, the, the I don't want to say the perfect combo, but the best combo is what's called um, exposure prevention. So you basically are, you know, like for me, I went through ERP and I had to purposefully expose myself to things that I was afraid of. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, whether or not... M- she was giving me the task with my faith involved. She wasn't saying you're going to, you're going to take your daughter. Cause my, one of my exposures was I had to take my daughter and put her in a grocery cart and walk around the store. Cause I hated grocery carts. They were disgusting to me. And I just did not ever. So I did anything I could to prevent that. 
And my therapist said, you have to put your daughter in the car and you have to walk around the store until you're, cause you kind of number your, um, anxiety. So it's like one to 10. So, you know, say my OCD anxiety for that task was a seven. I'd have to walk around the store until it was a four. That was kind of, and then you, you kind of work through until, right. so I had to do it. My palms were sweaty and I did not want to do it. And I was gritting my teeth the whole time. And I had a pan, lovely panic attack, but I was also praying the entire time. And God was meeting me in that. My therapist didn't know that that was going to be kind of my go-to yeah. thing, but I was just going, Lord, just meet me in this, just meet me in this. But I know this is what I have to do, whether or not I was praying or not. That was the technique that needed to happen for me to get better. Yeah. I had to face that fear. Now, will I tell people with OCD that if you have a faith that going through ERP is going to be way easier? Yes, because he will meet us in those mm. challenges. And it is without a doubt, a, an opportunity for you to grow in your faith, but you need to have someone who can look at you and say, you know, let's make, we're going to make a list of your top fears and we're going to work through all these things. And that means you got to stick your hand in that trash can, or mm -hmm. you have to, you know, not call your mom 15 times a day to ask her for reassurance or whatever that thing is, you have to have somebody that's going to be able to work through the practical sides of doing that. That's that. right. And whether you're a believer or not, that's right. You know? And so I think, um, I think it's an opportunity. And I think for me with my counselor, I was able to be a witness to her. I mean, right. I told her, I said, look, my faith is a huge part of who I am and how can we integrate this? And so she would start saying, okay, now you speak to the, to the religious piece of this, and you're going to be doing this task. And how do you want God to fit into that? And yeah. I would say, well, I, you know, I, I want to be able to uh, only pray a couple times during this or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's extremely important to understand, especially for pastors or even biblical counselors that, you know, if you have a patient that you just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, you know, you got to find somebody who's been trained in this because it's very specific and it needs a very, um, you got to have the right medication and you got to have the right homework. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't say what I said earlier to say, like, don't go to biblical counseling. I right, think that's great either. too. Yep. Um, I just think that we can quickly discount people and, um, absolutely that is not okay. <laughs> well, and I'll be, so, I'll be honest with you. Like I went to the, my counselor for a long time, who was not a believer and then, and she, I love her to death. And then I realized she was actually retiring. And I realized like, I think there's a part of this that I'm not getting to. And so now my counselor is a Christian counselor. And because I've done the, I've, I've done the practical work mm -hmm. and now there's a deeper part. And right. So, you know, therapy changes every season That's is right. different, but you know, you got to know the tools and you got to be able to change them up and, uh, yeah. you got to bring the desire to do the work. That's so true. And I mean, with Christianity and, and our personal relationship with Jesus, it's so awesome that you have community as well. And I don't want to discount that, that oh, not absolutely. everybody has a supportive family or a family. You might have a supportive family, but they don't necessarily share your faith values. And so it's, you just, you got to really think through and realize that there's no one-stop shop. There's no quick nope. fix. Um, there's nope. a lot of work that goes into it. So that's what sanctification looks like <laughs> until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, girl. seriously, <laughs> it's so true. Well, yeah. you wrote loving Naomi, a Christian fiction book whose character lives with OCD. And so Tell everybody what was your purpose in writing that book and in really choosing to make it fiction. So the story behind this is all God, um, as everything is, but, um, I actually am a big reader and I love reading fiction. I, I love reading nonfiction too, but fiction is really my main, like, if I really want to like feed my soul, fiction is just the way that I want to do that. And I decided to kind of randomly read books about characters with OCD. I had heard that there were some books written and um, there was one in particular that I read and um, I just really wanted to kind of see how the world was being presented with this idea of OCD, mostly because I knew that someday my kids were going to ask me, you know, and I'm very well treated now. And so they don't even really sometimes see it. They don't, mm. it's, it's an internal thing. And so I thought, well, someday I want to explain this to them. So I thought, well, I'll just read some books and maybe I can give them a book. Cause I learned through fiction. 
I read one in particular that was really, really good. And when I got finished with it, I, I thought, wow, he did such a good job of articulating what OCD feels like. And of course you can't, when you write a book about, unless you're writing a nonfiction that talks about all the different sub themes. I mean, there are a million different ways that OCD can present itself in a person. The, right. the, the cycles are the same, the obsessing, and then the compulsing to relieve the anxiety is the same, regardless of the theme, but it can look lots of different ways and present itself. So he picked one particular way and he did a fantastic job of articulating it. But at the end of it, the character was kind of like, well, sometimes she was doing well and sometimes she wasn't. And that's the end of the story. And I was like, no hope. Where's the hope? Like there's no, there's no any big picture. And so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, write a short story for my, for my kids kind of loosely based on my own experiences. So I kind of had this fiction story in my mind and I thought, well, I'll take characters that are sort of planted with a theme of my family and the people who have spoken into my life. And, and I started writing and then it got away from me and it went from being a short story to a novel, uh, which I didn't even realize till I Googled, you know, how long is a short story? And I was like, Oh, I think, (laughs) I think I went a little overboard. Um, And so, so that's kind of how it was born. Um, And I have always been a very imaginative person and have loved to tell stories and write stories and pretend and all that stuff. So for me, it was, it was really fun to do. And um, I think, I think God has surprised me along the way with how it turned out. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it, how it started is just kind of my desire to communicate with my children, my own experiences with the disorder in a way that would be more entertaining. Yeah. And so what do you hope now that you have this book that's out there? Like if someone, you know, reads it and comes to you and says, this is what I thought about the book. Like if you could have one of your, you know, perfect responses, what do you think? I shouldn't say perfect, but something that you're just like, yes, that was my why. Yeah. So they say about it. My why would be, I would hope that someone would come to me and say that God can use even OCD and that Mm -hmm. they would see that because people who have OCD feel shame. They feel embarrassed. (sighs) They feel like, why is my brain having these thoughts? They're thoughts that you never want to say out loud. And I just want somebody to read it and go on the, well, there's two things I would hope that they would say. One is from someone who actually has OCD. Like, I just want them to go, wow, I'm not alone and I can live with this and God can, God can use it. And it can be something that is for my good. I want that to be one. And then the second goal would be for people who love someone with OCD to not feel guilt and shame over being exhausted with them. Because it is exhausting to love someone who needs constant reassurance or who is doing these things that just don't make sense. And so I think for me to have someone come to me and say, oh my gosh, I read this book and I felt heard that it's okay that I am tired, but that, you know, I can still love them. And and also that there are solutions, you know, I, I want the book to bring solutions to people. I want people to say, okay, if I do go to therapy, I'm going to get help, you know, and I, right. think you know, I want them to read the book and read her experience of being so resistant to therapy. And then the blessings that came from that, I want them to read it and go, wow, I don't need to be ashamed of needing therapy. I don't need to be ashamed of the things I'm going to say there. Um, that's a really long answer. There's a lot of hopes I have for this book. No, I think um, that's awesome though. <laughs> so that really communicates what your desires are. So I appreciate that. Well, like you said earlier, you are a mom of three, you're a wife. And so what are some of the challenges of being a wife and a mom and even some of the challenges that your family experiences as, I mean, living with someone with OCD? You know, having kids is the greatest exposure therapy for me in the germ department because kids are gross and they come home with all kinds of stuff. And I think this last year of coronavirus has been sort of a a sweet spot for me because I've, I've used strategies. And so COVID didn't really freak me out very much because I've already spent my whole life thinking that germs were going to kill me. So this was just another, yeah, I'm like, Hey, so you're like, Hey, everybody's doing what I've been doing for like 20 years, you know? And so exactly. And so I'm like, (laughs) so for my brain, I would say the greatest challenge currently, my brain, the society is now telling me what I've spent 10 years trying to work hard, not to believe, to believe. Yeah. And so 
for me, re-entry into regular life is going to be a challenge. I'm already kind of prepping for that um, because kids get sick and Mm -hmm. it's good to put them in situations where they might get sick. And for me, that feels very counterproductive. It it feels wrong. And that's what OCD does. It makes you feel like this is not right. Uh, I've always struggled with putting my kids in the nursery or uh, you know, you take a normal new mom's fears and you kind of put them on steroids. And that's what I've had to work through a lot. Um, yeah. you know, you take those fessing over them. That's oh. what my husband was like, well, what do you think is the difference? And I was like, well, I think there's thinking about this and you want this. And then there's like getting to the point where you cannot shift your mind to anything else. No. It's like right. just all consuming. Right. And the decisions of what is it worth, you know, yeah, stay keeping my kid in the nursery. If somebody brings their kid and says, Oh, they have allergies and they're running at the nose. And I'm like, okay, now I have to make the, I mean, there's a lot of situations that happen that I think moms just feel a moment of anxiety and then they move through it and they go, well, it'll be fine. Um, but for me, that's, it's, it's a, it's an intentional decision that I have to make where I, I, my favorite phrase that my counselor taught me was I have to walk away uncomfortable. Like Mm -hmm. I have to walk away uncomfortable with the possibilities that might come from this situation. And I mean, when I'd pick my kids up from school and they'd get in the car and they'd say, Oh, Bobby barfed on the such and such. I'd be like, okay, take a break. You know, I, it's a physical response for me that I have to actually Mm. really work through. So that's the greatest challenge for me. Now, God has been extremely merciful and I don't have the relational obsessions Mm -hmm. like I used to, but I'm also medicated, uh, when I'm not medicated, that's a hard one. You can ask my yeah. sister. She is my go-to person and she just gets exhausted with me. Cause it's just, my brain just never stops with, you know, should I, or would I, and the insecurities that come with that. And I mean, it becomes yeah. a, a real rat race. So thankfully God's been merciful in that area. And I don't have the same harm-based intrusive thoughts like I used to, uh, which are covered in the book. I, um, I probably could, if I wasn't still working as hard as I am, yeah, constantly intentionally. Um, but I think God's been merciful in that. And I'm thankful that I can, I can say that that's been one that I've, uh, but I never get too comfortable because OCD is like whack-a-mole. And so you never know which one's going to pop up. And so that's right. I, I have to be on guard. And, and so I am. And, um, and I mean, that's really any mental diagnosis. I mean, just being someone who struggles with depression, like yeah, people will be like, what? I'm like, it, you, it, it's really hard because something can happen and just send you into this spiral. Right. Um, and that's not everybody because sometimes like someone with depression just stays there. Right. But if you're someone who's treating it and you have healthy coping mechanisms that you've been taught through counseling, it does yeah. feel a little bit like whack-a-mole. Cause you're like, Holy cow, what just happened? Like right. that right. shouldn't have sent me into a tailspin and it did. Right. Um, exactly. So that, that's the, you know, the brain definitely playing tricks on you. Totally. What about, would you say, and maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing this, but you know, what are some of the challenges your husband faces? Well, I think, I think for him, he's known me for so long. And so he's kind of walked with me through it, which he's a very uh, steady person, personality wise. He just doesn't get really flustered by much, but I think, Praise so, God, my husband I know, doesn't either. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, are, are you, do you see the fire that's going on? You know? And he's like, yeah. it'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, um, doesn't feel it. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> but I think for him, he has to deal with me needing a lot of reassurance about our our relationship, because I think, you know, with OCD, you can fill in the blanks very easily. And so Mm -hmm. for me, you know, I can look at our relationship and go, there's a problem here. And he's like, where, where's the problem? Like, I don't, I don't see a problem. I think we probably could afford to spend some more time together or, you know, he'll have a very practical, uh, but for me, if I don't, if I don't get that reassurance from him that I really should be getting from Christ, if I, if I don't get that from him, I can become obsessive about it. And that can get exhausting. The germ thing definitely does get exhausting for him because we, many years ago, before I was medicated, we would have our community group at someone's home. And I think every single time we would go, this is when we had toddlers, I would have a panic attack, like on the way to community group. And I'd be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go this. I don't want to go. And he'd be Mm. like, we need to go. And so he had to kind of ride that roller coaster. And then once I would get there and the anxiety would fall and it would be, but he was basically doing an exposure for me. Like that's um, right. And it's hard sometimes because sometimes it is right to say we shouldn't go because 
so-and-so is sick or, you know, and so it's hard to know. And that's, what's so frustrating with OCD is that OCD is based on good things. It's, mm. it's based on things that are important to think about. I mean, cleanliness and germs, right. And, and even you don't want to be a murderer. That's an important thing not to be. And so they're based on really good things to avoid. But I heard a really great analogy the other day that instead of looking at your OCD as this enemy, that's lying to you, you should look at it as a really overly cautious friend that is sending you alarms to be aware of something or concerned about something when it's totally unnecessary. So to, Mm. to acknowledge it and say, Hey, thank you for that warning. Thank you for alerting me that this is important. Like, but I don't need that right now. Like I've got this under control. And I just found that so helpful because recognizing that it can be a blessing. I mean, our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. And so, you know, recognizing the fact that being a conscientious person, if say you have moral OCD and you're very concerned about doing the right thing, that's a great thing to want to love others well. But when the alarm is going off and you're doing all these things compulsively to be a good person, you got to tell that friend like, Hey, I appreciate you looking out for me that you want me to love other people. Well, but this is too much and we got to press pause and I hear you, but I'm not going to entertain that right now. Mm. And so for me, I have a, thank you for bringing up this germ that it's, that's something I need to acknowledge that my kids could get sick and that could be really inconvenient and not fun. But there's these other factors that are more important than that right now. And I need you to just take a little break. And so that's kind of where I am currently with my, with my OCD. Yeah. Um, just a healthier way of dealing with it. Well, as we begin to close out, you have talked a lot about how you need reassurance. That's a really typical thing for people with OCD. And so, you know, family members, friends, strangers who maybe don't know you as well are very tempted to provide that reassurance. But what is the danger in that And what are some alternative ways to really reassure someone with OCD? So I would say um, the reason why reassurance doesn't work is because it is a temporary, it's like, it's almost like an addiction in a way. I was going to say, does it it feed an addiction? Interesting. It does. It totally does. It, It tells the brain when someone reassures you, it tells the brain that this is an important problem that needs to get solved. And so it just reinforces the going back to it. And it trains the brain to think, okay, this is an emergency. So if somebody says, like, if I ask my mom, like, mom, I thought this thought is the bad thought. And she says, no, honey, it's not a bad thought. And then I say, but are you sure it's not a bad thought? Like every time she answers, yes, I'm sure it's not a bad thought. She's just reinforcing my brain that this is a problem. And this is something that needs my attention. This is a problem that needs solving. I mean, because OCD, you feel very much like a detective. You're like, Ooh, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to I'm going to have all the certainty in the world that this is true, or this is not true, or this is, um, and, and, and sometimes people can even have what's called false memory OCD where, and I've experienced this before where you actually remember a situation completely wrong and you, then you don't trust yourself. You go, well, wait, did this happen or did this happen? And you, you just spend all of your time thinking about reliving that situation in your mind over and over Wow! and the OCD really skews it. So if I keep going back and saying, I got to figure this out, it's just telling the brain, that it's important when it's really not. And so I think for people who love someone with OCD, just saying like, Hey, you know, and, and that's why it's so important to get therapy. Let me just say that right now, because therapists, especially if you love someone with OCD, you need to go to that therapy session with or without them and say, how do I deal with this when this happens? And that's really the, because each situation is so different, but the essence is that you would just tell the person, look, I acknowledge this thought. I hear you. I'm sorry that this is hard for you right now, but I can't answer that with you for you. You have to sit in that uncertainty right now. And it feels very counterproductive because you're going to make that person very uncomfortable because they're going to want to feel, yeah, they're going to want to feel your compassion. And there's a way to be compassionate without filling up that void. And listen, I have a very close friend who has OCD and she's in the midst of big struggles right now. I have even noticed, wow, I'm reassuring her. I, I'm doing this and I shouldn't be. And I got to figure out a different way. But it, you, when you love the person, it's so easy to just want to tell them, no, you're not those things. You're That's not right. those things are worried. We know you. Um, so I think it's learning those practical 
ways to sit with them in the discomfort without solving it for them. And it is very, especially with young children. I think it's really hard, but, um, but yeah, I mean, my favorite, um, I love Flannery O'Connor and, um, one of her quotes that I just love is, um, and I actually have a bracelet on that says it it's engraved in it, but she says, I can with one eye squinted, take it all as blessing. And Mm -hmm. I think when you're dealing with OCD, you are going to have your eye squinted in discomfort. You're going to be cringing. You're going to be putting yourself in really uncomfortable situations that are going to feel terrible, but that's when you know that the treatment is working. So that's mm-hmm. my encouragement is that the more uncomfortable you are, um, and, and that God it, is still in it. He's not left you. You are not alone. He's using, he's using all of it. And we may not see it the side of heaven, but we can trust his promises that, you know, he yeah. is, he is with us and he will not leave us. And in those exposures that feel terrible, um, he will meet us in them. I love that. Thank you so much. So the book is loving Naomi. Where can listeners find it? So you can find it at Amazon. There's an ebook available as well as a paperback copy. Um, I think the hardbacks are actually um, on back order right now, but they should be by the time this is airing and they should be back. Um, And you can also get it at um, www.westbowpress.com and you can Google the title and you can get it there also. It's free shipping there also. And if you live in the area, um, I also can deliver an autograph. So um, so you can follow me on Instagram at Megan Newkirk writes, and you can uh, DM me if you want a autographed copy yeah. and I'm happy to deliver those, um, to those in the area. That's so awesome. And it's great. If you all, if anybody wants to connect with Megan, please hop over to Instagram and connect with her there. Um, the book is really just, it is a wonderful writing. It's wonderful piece. I'm with oh, you. I love you. fiction when it's like, telling us, well, I mean, they're all telling stories, but something specific, like someone's specific journey tends to be, it really resonates with me. Um, So thank you for being here today and for sharing about OCD with my audience and um, your writing. Oh, well, thank you for this opportunity. I'm very excited to be able to do this because I'm super passionate about this topic. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you or someone you know is struggling with OCD, I want to encourage you to seek out a good counselor. If you are unsure how to do that, please reach out to me at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.